I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome aboard. So when we think about thankfulness, this is something running through my head today. What are you doing out there? What have you done in the last couple of weeks? Uh, We've all had an opportunity to think about what it means to be thankful. What are we thankful for in our lives? And I know this comes up a lot. You know, I write a lot of articles. I write a lot of different uh, pieces that I put out on social media. As things strike me, you know, I want to express myself. That's something that I do, right? So I wrote about thankfulness. And I had a lot of people respond to the posts that I was putting out saying, yeah, well, you know what? I don't have a lot to be thankful for. You know, I I don't have the job I want. I don't have the relationship I want. I just lost somebody that I love in my family. Uh, I don't have the house. I don't have the income that I want or need. I can't provide everything that I want for my children. And I get that. I understand that completely. Uh, As many of you know who have listened for a while, and believe me, I appreciate you and I'm thankful for you, Uh, I've been in that position too. You know, I've been in a position where I didn't have the right job. I didn't have enough money. I didn't have the great housing. I didn't have the things that I wanted in life uh, for me and my family. Uh, I wasn't able to help people as much as I like to help people. And it was frustrating and it was sad. I've lost people that I love. You know, I've all recounted to you the story of losing my dad when I was 14 to a heart attack. The poor man was only 37 years old, and we were on a hunting trip on December 11th, exactly two weeks from Christmas. Now, can you imagine how difficult that was two weeks before Christmas to, for me to lose my father, my brother to lose his father, my mother to lose her husband at such a young age? It was very difficult, and it was hard to find find anything to be thankful for. I remember having jobs that I really hated. Uh, I took the work. It's, you know, from, from the place I came from, other than my dad, who started his own business and became very successful before he passed, in, in the family that I grew up in, everybody worked hard, but none of us went to college. Nobody went to college. We didn't have money for college. And the whole idea was, you know, you you weren't prepared for a career. You were prepared for a job. And what you did is whatever job you got, you took, uh, if, it, if it was something that supplied you with uh, some income. And then as time went by, you tried to find something better, right? So my dad had an electric, electrical business, and he was a certified electrician, and he worked for the union, and he made good money. But he decided to go out on his own, to put his own shingle out and be an entrepreneur. And it took a couple of years. I've recounted uh, here how difficult those couple of years were for our family. I was a kid. I didn't understand why all of a sudden we went from vacations and having really cool, nice Christmases and things like that to all of a sudden having hardly anything. Uh, You know, Scotiabank cars, uh, they were driving around. But over time... As he became more successful, all of a sudden, now we had new cars. We went on great vacations, and it was awesome. Unfortunately, all of that came to an abrupt end when he passed. But 
The point was, me and all my cousins, my brother, my cousins, all of us, um, we did jobs that were available. Now, of course, I was going to go into the electrical business with my father. That was a big thing we had talked about. Uh, he even came up with a name, which I thought was great. You know, we thought about maybe uh, the Pangaro family electricians, whatever. He came up with a company name, Wellworth. You know, and I like it's well worth the money, I suppose, is what he was talking about. Uh, but that was that was really cool. And I thought that's what I was going to do. I, I went to work with him when I was 12 during the summers. You know, I would go and he was he was teaching me things. But once he was gone, there was no electrical business. It was gone. It was over. There was nothing. And we took whatever job came along. So I think one of my first jobs was building caps for pickup trucks, right? You know, now you think of a pickup truck and it's got the open bed in the back, right? Well, if you ever see the cap that goes on the back, they're either aluminum or they're made out of uh, fiberglass or whatever. Well, I got a job uh, up the street from my house with a company named Coast Cap. Uh, was, that was a Coast Cap manufacturing. And I was 14 years old. Right after my dad died, the, uh, the spring after he passed, I had to go get a job. I had to go work, you know, to help uh, support my mother and my brother. Uh, so I still went to school, but I worked in the afternoons, right, and on weekends. And I was building caps. Well, that went for a couple of years. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. But unfortunately, the owner had some personal problems in life, and it became untenable to work there. And I left, and I became a landscaper. Right? And I was cutting grass and doing And that was great. But I start to realize after a couple of years of doing that, while I was doing it with a friend, uh, and his brother was running the company, and we had good times, the pay was not that great. As I started to see that, you know, how am I going to make money doing this going forward in my life? How am I ever going to have a family, you know, making these meager wages, right? And that's all he could afford. He, he didn't, you know, have a lot of money, but he did what he could for us. And I said, I got to do something else. So then I went and worked for a plumber because that plumber paid like $2 an hour more than the landscape guy. And, you know, that eventually led me to, to other things. And then I ended up finding my way to law enforcement eventually. But the idea was, you know, me and all my cousins, that's what you did. That's what you did for money. You know, if, if you, somebody needed help painting, being a painter, well, this week I'm a painter. And then next week I find a job uh, working for a landscape guy, paying a dollar an hour more. Now I'm a landscaper. And then after that, I'm a, a, a street sweeper or whatever. That was, that was how life went. You know, you went wherever the couple of dollars were. It's only in this generation now of my family that, you know, some of us have been more successful and college was a way to go. So we would send our children to college. I, as an adult, have worked on my college degree my entire adult life. And in 2021, I earned my bachelor's degree, something I had worked for for a long time. And we talked about this before, you know, go back in the episodes, listen to the podcast. And the whole idea was that each and every step in my life, each and every step in my life, when I look back at it under the context of, you know, thankfulness, even going all the way back to being a kid, I remember how, how thankful I was for my mother and father. I was very grateful that they, they loved me and my brother, and we knew that they loved us. Um, we knew that they cared about us. We knew that they thought about us. 
They included us. You know, they, we tried to do family things. We camped together. We did stuff. We went on some vacations that were just really wonderful. And I was very, very grateful, even as a young kid, because I saw some of my friends, while they had moms and dads, and some were just as good as my mom and dad, others were not. And they didn't have a lot of things. Uh, there was kids that I grew up with that I was very friendly with, that their moms and dads did not have any kind of economic resources. They had very, very limited things. Their house was in disrepair. They didn't have new clothes. They didn't have things that we took for granted. You know, once life got better in our house, once my father started making a better income, it was just something that I remember, you know, hey, wow, you know, I am very lucky that I, that I have this. And that kind of did spill over to when my father passed. I was very, very grateful that my family was there for me and my friends were there for me. You know, they were very close and they, they made me feel supported. And even though it was a horrible, horrible time in my life, um, they made it manageable. My cousins were all around. Our family friends were all around. And I, I remember being very, very grateful on that Christmas morning uh, when we got up, me and my mother and my brother, without my dad for the first time ever, and we got up, and it was, initially, it was hard. There was some crying, uh, you know, um, but that crying turned into laughter because we thought about what Christmas was. I remember my mother telling me, Christmas is about, you know, Jesus' birthday. It's not about presents, and it's very, very sad that dad's not here with us, but we have God with us all the time, and we're going to see that again someday. And that actually made it feel a little better to the point that her words, and she was a very simple woman, uh, but, but her heart was gold. And she said just the right thing that Christmas was not ruined for us. Now, I got to tell you, that's one of the things I see when people say to me, hey, Lieutenant Joe, that's nice that you're talking about thankfulness, but, you know, uh, I lost somebody, or we lost our job, or we lost this or that, and it's hard to recover. And I, and I get it. I understand. But the fact was that, that that whole concept, my mother's loving words, connected us to a future that even though my dad wasn't there, there was hope that he was in a good place, and eventually we would all be together again. And I was thankful for that. As I've grown up and gone through life, I look back at moments like that, and I think how grateful I am to have had the time I had with my dad. Uh, it was really great. He treated me like a man when he took me to work, and I was 12 years old. And, you know, at 12 years old, you're kind of in your father's shadow, and you want to be seen by him as, as a man. You want to be treated well. And, you know, sometimes parents don't do that. They treat the kids like little kids, and they don't have responsibility. But for him to take me to, to job sites and to give me responsibility at those job sites. Now, I'm sure he was watching very closely at what I was doing. I was putting in uh, receptacles. That was my job. You know, the wire was sticking out of the wall. He showed me how to do the receptacle. Then he came around and checked it and said, good, screw it into the wall. But I felt, I felt pride that he trusted me and I felt really good. I was very thankful that he gave me that opportunity. As I look down the road in my life, I'm very entrepreneurial. And what I look back and I said, gee, I'm very thankful that I saw my father be entrepreneurial. I saw him at the time, like I said, I didn't understand at the time. 
uh, when I was 10 and 11, when he stopped working for the union in New York City, which paid pretty well, uh, and he started his own business. And those couple of years were really, really tough. And I didn't understand it until later on. And then I realized, yeah, what a big chance this man took. And my mother, you know, they did it together, that they were going to start their own business. They didn't know how it was going to go. And it just turns out he was he was a, a good man. He could provided quality work, and he got a lot of work. And things took off after a couple of years. But I look, as I went through my life, when I became a, a law enforcement guy, um, you know, cops, most cops have side jobs. Well, at least they used to. When I started police work, the starting pay was $21,000 a year. Now, we think about that now, but we're talking 19, 1985, 1986, 21000 a year for a guy who went from landscaper to painter to apprentice this to helper this and that. I was making probably twelve dollars or $13,000 a year. And I remember Kathleen and I talking. We had just had, you know, little Joey, uh, or we're about to have little Joey, uh, my firstborn. And we're saying, well, what are we going to do? I need a better job. I need more money. I, I need more than twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 a year. What am I going to do? And I looked around, and I, there was a job um, with an exterminator, right? This, an exterminator, and I called this guy. I said, never did this before, but I want to be an exterminator. And he says, okay, come to the office. And he was going to hire me, and he was going to pay me, um, I think, $18,000 a year. And I had to think about that. I mean, you talk about a jump in income, you know, from $1,000 a month to 2000 or whatever, almost 2000 That was huge. And... I remember saying, wow, you know, uh, I, should I take this? Should I, should I climb under, should I climb under houses with this bug spray? And I just, I, I was going to take the job and that's when the police job came along, the opportunity for the police job. And I took the test and I got hired and began, and I started at $21,000 a year. Now we think about that now, but imagine going from 12,000 to 21,000. That's a pretty big jump. That was an amazing change in life for us, but it still wasn't enough. We had a little baby now. Um, we were renting a house because uh, we didn't have any money saved. You know, you didn't save money. Uh, kids like me didn't save any money. We had no money to save. And, you know, what are we going to do? And we lived at my in-laws for a while. They were very, very generous and very good to us to let us stay there. But eventually, uh, we did get out on our own. And I said, okay, looking at the lesson my father gave me, about being an entrepreneur and making things better for your family. I was not going to leave police work, which was a very well-paid, uh, skilled set, because, and again, never, that was part of my life. I, I didn't have any college or anything. Um, so the idea of leaving the PD wasn't right, but I, I worked shift work. And I said, you know, my dad took a big chance. What can I do? I said, you know what? What other skills do I have? Well, you know what? I landscaped for a long time. And I know all those skills. And there are some skills to that. you got to be able to work the machinery, cut the grass, make sure it looks nice, all that kind of stuff. It's not as simple as it looks. So I said, you know what, Kath, I think I'm going to start uh, cutting grass. And she says, what do you mean? I said, well, uh, on my day shifts, after, after work, I'll go cut some lawns. And before my 3 to 11s, I'll cut lawns. And on midnights after I sleep, I'll cut some lawns. And we thought about it, and we invested and bought a good lawn mower. Uh, I had a Scotiabank pickup truck. I mean, anybody that knows me from back then, we used to call it the Mighty C-10. Uh, it was a reliable truck, but it was by no means had any uh, bells and whistles, uh, you know, turn handles and an AM radio. That was it. Um, 
But I went out and I had this lawnmower. I found a trailer, a friend of mine, my neighbor. My neighbor says to me, hey, uh, you're putting that big lawnmower in the back of that pickup every day. That looks tough. And it was. You know, it was hard to run this thing up and down on boards. He said, a friend of mine has a trailer he wants to get rid of. Uh, it's, it's full of junk, though. You just got to take the junk to the dumpster and you can have it. So we drove two and a half hours away to the guy's house. I took this <laughs> trailer full of junk uh, home, took it to the dump and dumped it. But then I had a trailer. I had an actual trailer uh, to put my equipment on. And I remember saying, you know, I wonder if this is probably how it happened for my dad. He had a Scotiabank truck and he started getting work. Well, lo and behold, I thought I would do, you know, if you could do 10 lawns a week at the time of $20, that's $200. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot now. But back then, $200 extra a week times, you know, four weeks, that's $800 when you add that up for the year, that's almost $10,000 extra income to bring into my family, to help give my family the things that they deserve, that I wanted to give them, that I didn't have. And the business actually took off. Uh, I, was, I was cutting so many lawns that I had to bring in two other people and let them use the truck and the trailer <laughs> so that they could go cut. And I gave them half the money because they did the other half. But I had side jobs. People call and say, hey, can you plant a tree? And I'd say, yeah, the tree's 80 bucks and it's $100 to put it in. Okay, well, it took me two hours. And that was another $100. See what I'm saying? And I remember looking back and saying, where did I learn this? And I learned this from my father. I was very, very grateful to have seen that lesson. I was thankful that he had the courage to do what was right for his family and that I learned the lesson. And I was supported by my wife, just as my mother was supported by, uh, my, my mother supported my father. And it really clicked in my head. And I was very thankful as I went through my life because that, that landscaping, that grass cutting was not easy. You know, it ended up being probably, I ended up, how many did I ended up doing? Probably me, 20 a week. And the other people I had on board, they were doing 20. 20 lawns a week doesn't sound like much. But when you're working a 3 to 11 shift, you got to get out there at 8 o'clock in the morning and start pushing that lawnmower. And then you have to be back by, you know, 1.30 so you can shower and then go to work and then do an eight-hour shift of police work, running around, answering calls, doing all the things that cops do. And I had to do this three, four days a week at least. Then you add in, it rained one day. And maybe it rained two days. Then you have to do all 20 lawns in two days. So you got to go out earlier. You know, see what I'm saying? But I never stopped being thankful for a couple of things. One, the lesson my father taught me. Number two, having the support of my wife and having the courage to do this and that it was successful. That while it was hard and it took a lot of time, it provided things for my family. And I was very, very thankful to each and every one of my customers for taking a chance on me. And I kept doing that until, until I went into the detective bureau. And then I, I was on call 24 hours a day. I was running all around. I had been making a lot more money by then in the police department. You know, we went up pretty fast in pay. This is when it went from, you know, a regular job to, like today, patrolmen in police departments in most of our bigger city areas, the Northeast, California, Florida, make pretty good money. You know, um, patrolmen now in the Northeast are making between a hundred and hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year to be a patrolman. That's pretty good money, right? So I made more money. I didn't need to do the police work anymore, uh, and I eventually stopped. But 
that ability to, to have done that was a great example because I took my son Joe when he was old enough and I took him out to cut grass and I taught him the lessons of do a good job. Someone is paying you, right? You can't do it shoddy. You can't do it fast. It might be hard. It might be hot. It might be uncomfortable. But you know what? Someone is paying you. You should be grateful that you have a customer and you should put your effort into it to do a great job. And he learned that lesson and he took it into his life. And, it, and how do you know that? Well, how do you know that? Well, sitting around a fire one day with my grown adult son, who's now an attorney, very successful attorney. He goes, you know what? I'll never forget cutting grass and I'll never forget when you yelled at me because I did a poor job because I was tired and it was hot and I just wanted to be done and you wouldn't let me do it. You said, go back and do it again. Someone is paying you. Do a good job. He goes, I never forgot that. And anytime I do anything in my job now, my family, with anything that I do, I'm going to do a good job no matter how hard it is. Now, that is a gift. That's a gift for me to know that my son got that lesson. And I'm very, very thankful for it. All right? So for, for people who have lost someone... I guess we have to look at that and say that's probably one of the most difficult things. You know, uh, I don't. This is not about me. I don't want to make this this whole concept about me. But this is my life experience. Losing my dad two weeks before Christmas was pretty tough. You know, and we found a way to to deal with it. And each year we celebrated Dad at Christmas. We missed him, but we celebrated him. And I think. Having lost other people, I've lost my mom since then. Um, my friends, I've lost other people. I have people who acted like a father for me, who, who were there for me uh, through my teenage years and my early 20s. And they've passed, and I lost them too. But we all lose people. And what I've come to, come to accept is that that is part of life. Death is part of life. But I have a faith. And my faith tells me that it's not the last time you'll see them that they are in a better place and that it's part of the cycle and someday I'll be there, right? We talked a couple weeks ago on here. I told you, Kathy and I said, hey, we're in the last quarter of life. So you realize, hey, you know, uh, wow, that's really true. Um, you're going to be with these people again. You're going to be with the Lord in heaven. Uh, if you're a good person, and I try to be, I'm not, I can't say I'm a great person, but I'm, I try to be a good person, right? So that was very, very helpful to me. And I'm very thankful that I have this faith because I was always spiritual. You know, I was always spiritual. And we went to church when I was a kid on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We went to church on Easter and Christmas uh, and that kind of thing. But we didn't go to every Sunday mass. Well, in my adult life, my wife, Kathleen, says, listen, when we had little Joe, she goes, listen, I think it's important that we go to mass and we show him that going to church is important, that God is important, and having God in your life is important. And I said, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I've always been very spiritual, but, you know, I've been kind of lax on actually doing the right thing. And I thought about it, and I said, I think you're right. And then we looked up somewhere, and we, we had read something. Kathleen is a voracious reader when it comes to things, researcher. And she says, you know, I read a couple of articles that say, if the father in the family has faith and goes to church, the children will adopt that in their lives. Now that struck me like a bell. That struck me like a bell. And I said, wow, um, that's a pretty big responsibility. 
Uh, so you're right. We'll go to church. We'll go to church every Sunday. We'll go to church on holy days of obligation. We'll do what we can to show and teach our children faith is important. And we did. Now, that's now Joe's 38 years old, just had a birthday recently. And we have gone to church steadily for 38 years. And we took all the kids with us when they were babies. We went in the crying room when they got older. They learned, uh, you know, how to behave in church, how to worship in church, how to, uh, they make all their sacraments. And, you know, as kids do, um, they went about their lives as they became on their own. They all kind of drifted away from religion. They all kind of drifted away because they were busy with life. And, you know, now they didn't have to go every Sunday. And, you know, they, they hear different things from their friends. But what I have to say is in the last, in the last couple of years, right, my youngest son, Jack, has, he, he's still in college. Jack has been with us, uh, you know, in our adult lives when he sees us going every week. Jack goes to church on his own. Him and his girlfriend go to church on their own every Sunday. He goes to church at college every Sunday. I say, Jack, why do you do that? He says, well, because uh, it's the right thing to do. I have faith in God and, and I learned that from you and mom. I said, that's fantastic. My older boys, they got families of their own and you know they hadn't been going very often other than Christmas and uh, Easter. And then all of a sudden, my son says, my son Joe says, hey dad, you know what? Um, We've been going back to church. I said, you have? He goes, yeah, we're going every Sunday and I'm taking the kids and I, I, I love it. I feel, I feel very good about it and I, I'm, I learned a lesson from you and mom and bringing them to church is important to me. And now, now he's teaching Sunday school. It's amazing. Then my son Alex, who I thought was the farthest away from going back, he says to me, uh, you know, we've been going to church. Uh, you have? He goes, yeah, he has a little daughter, him and his wife. And he says, yeah, we've been going to church. Now, I know he was influenced by his brother, Joe, but he says, you took us to church every week and it was always nice to go to church. And you know what? I feel good about it. And I'm happy to take my daughter so that she knows about faith. And I said, wow, home run. So the last one on, on, the, uh, on the list here is my daughter. And she's going to church now regularly, right? Um, I am very thankful for that. I'm thankful for that ability for my children to see faith as important. And it's, it's in that thankfulness to my wife for considering this and bringing it to my attention so I can make a decision on it. And then for me to recognize the reality and the truth of it. Because faith is not for when things are going great, right? Faith is when things are tough, when you're having a hard time, when you suffer a loss. That's when you need faith. And I was happy to give that to my children because, you know, in my life, there's been all of these things, just like I'm sure there is in your life. So my children are now all back in church on their own, as a decision of their own, building their faith with their God. And I am thrilled by that. I think it's wonderful. I am very, very thankful. So even in lives where there's loss, where there's difficulties, where there's problems, there are always many things to be grateful for. So the question to you, my friends, is what are you thankful and grateful for? This is a good time to contemplate it and figure it out and be grateful and thankful. We'll be back in a minute with more. 
Nurses Out Loud Talk Radio want to introduce you to ASEA Redox Cell Signaling Molecules. It is more than just a wonderful natural product. Redox molecules are native to the human body. Redox molecules enable your body to turn on its inner doctor so your body can heal itself the way it did naturally when you were young. Check out americaoutloud.shop, look for ASEA Cell Signaling Molecules Liquid Supplement, and check out Nurse Michelle's recent favorite ASEA product, Renew 28 Revitalizing Redox Gel, because this gel helped get me through some significant muscular pain during my healing process following a recent canoeing accident when I broke my hip. Give it a try for your aches and pains and let Nurses Out Loud hear how your health has improved. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. All right. Just as I said, we are back. And uh, I appreciate uh, the fact that, you know, at this time of year, we all like to think about our thankfulness and gratefulness. And that was really cathartic for me to remember some of those things I haven't thought about. And I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for uh, the great Malcolm Out Loud. I'm thankful for the entire uh, America Out Loud family. And I'm thankful for all of you that, that tune in to listen to, you know, the things I have to say. And I hope, I hope this has been a relationship where uh, I'm bringing up things that you think about and you come up with and then you enjoy. So I really appreciate being here and I am thankful for all of you. You know, I'm also thankful for Healthy Cell and their products. That's right. See how I weave that right in here? Yes. I take Healthy Cell every day. I take the Immune Boost. I really like it. Uh, I know they have also the REM sleep, which, you know, thank goodness I don't need help with that. I sleep like a baby. Uh, but I know people who do take it and it has really helped them. And then the Focus Factor. I've seen it in real life. I've seen people take it and their memory improved, their cognitive abilities have improved. So the Healthy Cell products, they're all over the network here. I'm telling you, they're awesome. I wouldn't tell you that if I didn't really believe it, if I didn't really take them myself. So Healthy Cell products, they're there for you. All right. So 
let's see. What else is going on in the world? Because we, we have to go we have to go around the world. We have to look um, at what's happening and how, how it relates to our world. So I brought up something a couple of times. I am trying to tighten up my thoughts on where the world is, where the world's going, where our country is going, and what our future is. Because even though I'm in the last quarter, probably the last 20 years of life, um, as a reality, uh, I still feel 18 years old, but the reality is, you know, you only get so many years in life. But I do have children and grandchildren, right, that are out there in the world, and I want to make sure uh, that they have a good thing, or at least I can give them some advice or some thoughts on what they should be doing, move to New Zealand or, uh, or hunker down and get ready here in America. I hope they get to stay here in America. I hope it becomes the beautiful place that it always was. The problem is, right now, uh, we are a land divided like nothing before. I, I can't, you know, through history, other than probably the Civil War, when we were split by great concepts, ideas, practices, that had to be changed. Uh, you know, they were, they were vestiges and remnants of, of an older, I don't want to say ancient, but of an older archetype of life. You know, we were moving into a more modern, enlightened world. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, you're enlightened, that's enlightened, be enlightened. And it, it can feel uncomfortable. There's nothing wrong with being enlightened. Being enlightened is good because it helps you to to expand, to change, to grow. And that's what we all need to do. And America has grown since the Civil War and all the problems of slavery and the things we had going on that had to be changed, that were abominable. And we did change them. And how many thousands and thousands of people died at the altar of freedom to do that, to try and change and move us forward. And that's one of the great things about this country is that we have always found a way forward We've always found a way towards our better angels. Now, we're not perfect, but the reality is the world we're in today is a world that is actually it's a worldwide event that's going on. We are seeing and, and I'm not going to be so as uh, silly as to break it down to good and evil. Uh, that's in the background. But the reality is we are we are fighting once again as as people of the world between freedom and repression and strongmen and tyranny and liberty. We are, this battle, again, is happening. Now, in recent episodes, and I encourage you to go back and listen to all the episodes here, we started to think about, you know, what is this all about? What, what are these symptoms from? Are they all related or unrelated? And I tried to put them together to see that well, if we look at each thing, as an individual, we may not see the big, big picture. So what we have is we have a very progressive, liberal um, underpinning in the country of people who are very progressive and liberal and are really much more totalitarian than, than not. Let's just put it that way. And they want to control your speech. They want to control your actions. They want to control how you live. They want to control what you can do, where you can go, how you can protect yourself. They want to change the paradigm of what America was founded in. Now, if we take away their argument, because that's they set the narrative. They have the media. They have the news. They have the TV. They have all of that. They have the popular culture, and it sets the narrative. 
And the narrative that has been set is that the founding of America was uh, evil and vile and set up to oppress people and this and that. And that's not what it was set up for. Those things did exist in the, in the culture that was developed, but that was not the basis, right? America wasn't founded so that white guys could oppress everybody else and keep everybody down. That's not why America was founded. America was founded on the concepts of freedom and liberty for all. And initially, while we didn't have that, we did come to an enlightenment and realize that that was wrong. And that's what led to that big schism in the Civil War, is that we, we, we had an, an enlightenment to realize, hey, this may how it's always been done in every culture, on every continent, across all of time, there was these things. And in America, we said, no, that's, that's not right. And it, we, it, was a, it was a painful, bloody tearing away of what was for something that is new. Now, of course, if you look at things and you try to dissect the thoughts, isn't that what religion also does, specifically the Christian religion? Um, didn't we see, you know, and, and this is not a religion lesson, I'm talking in a bigger concept here. Didn't we see Jesus give his life to the point of beating to death, to being hung on a cross, to dying a miserable death, to free us from sin and death to a new world, right? So I think the concept here is not just religious. The concept is human beings going forward, tearing off the old and becoming the new, right? Uh, that is really what it is from enlightenment and learning and moving forward and understanding ourselves better and being in a better place to understand the world. And that's what has happened here. So as we see it going forward, we see these forces of communism, socialism growing around the world, and it has affected and infected our country. All of these little things, these protests we're seeing now, where thousands and thousands and thousands of young Americans are taking the side of a terrorist organization over the state of Israel, is, if that isn't one of the most shocking signs of this change, I don't know what else is. The fact that a letter from Osama bin Laden uh, resurfaced and thousands and thousands of these young people saying, hey, he's right. America was bad. America did deserve what happened then. This is such a change in, uh, in understanding of who America is and what we should be. And where does it all come from? So we have the protests, we have siding with terrorist groups, we have uh, cutting down on your rights, we have all of these things happening. They are all symptoms of that, um, that ideology in the background, which is, go ahead, remember, you've heard me say it once, I said it a thousand times, right? It is the default position of humanity to live under tyranny. And we're seeing it yet again, because it's been, what, 200 and 47 years, right? Something like that, that our country has been here and it's starting to wear thin. You know, we thought, we thought, um, I remember like the great Rush Limbaugh and I remember the great Ronaldus Magnus, President Reagan saying, you know, we have finally turned the corner and co communism is dead as a, theol as a, as a uh, concept. Socialism has been proven to be wrong and it doesn't work over and over and over again. And we thought we were almost there. We said, oh, you know, I remember Rush saying all the time, we are a center-right country. 
that, uh, you know, mostly center-right people. We, we are conservative in our lives, uh, but there's social, social things we need to work on. Well, the reality is that might have been true for a moment. That was a moment uh, in our history, I think, when that was probably true. But right now, I don't know. We, we, see, we see such different messaging. There's anti-Semitism was considered a disease, a horrible, horrible thing. And now it is walked around like it's the most important thing in the world, that it's true. Being against the, the state of Israel and being against the Jews is not only acceptable, it is considered that's the right thought pattern, which is absolutely horrendous. And it is all a symptom. And the symptom all comes from the, the bottom line of communism and socialism to break down the family, break down our traditions, break down our country so that we are fighting with each other. We are confused. We are afraid. We can't count on our traditions anymore. We can't count on our government anymore. We are alone. And therefore, we need something to come in and save us. And what that normally is, is a strong man comes in and says, I'm going to solve the problems. Again, I'm not talking religion, but let's look at, you know, what, what's, what's, what does religion tell us? The Christian religion here tells us in, uh, in the, uh, the book of Revelation that there's going to come this horrible time, but there's going to be this leader is going to rise up, be charismatic and solve everybody's problems. Don't we see that over and over and over and over again throughout time, throughout history? That strong leader is going to come in and fix the problems and straighten it out, make everybody safe. and We're all going to be good. Only we know what happens when that happens. We know that, that, that power corrupts that person and it corrupts the system. And that leads to violence against the people, suppressing the people, repressing the people. It leads to kangaroo courts. It leads to uh, the state being all-powerful. Do we see any of those things happening now? Do we see a um, devaluing of the rule of law? The rule of law is good as long as it's for you and not for me. The rule of law is good as long as you follow the law. I don't have to follow the law. I'm above the law, right? Don't we see that over and over and over again in our society? Can we trust the wheels of government not to come after you if you disagree with them? In small ways, small ways that can't be accountable. And it's just one person that they're going after. So nobody gets to get, because they're, they're not going to come after me, but the next thing they do come after people, right? All of these things are by design. When you break down the family, then you break down that cohesion. When you break down the society and the traditions, it leaves you with nothing. People go scrambling, looking for something, and people have a tendency to fall into fear, and fear is what is used by the communists and the socialists to protect you. Uh, they're going to make it equal. They're going to make everyone the same. They're going to make sure everyone gets all the benefits. They're going to make sure you're protected from people who have bad thoughts and people who want to say things that hurt you. And they're going to keep that from happening. All you have to do is be completely loyal, give them everything they ask for, and not question anything they do. Do we see any of that happening in our country. We do. Unfortunately, we do see that. So all of these things that we can point to, 
whether it be the breakdown of our criminal justice system, the lack of uh, safety and security in our communities, the rise of crime, uh, the open border where we have no idea. Now we're in a panic because of this terrorist attack in Israel and that there could be there's call. There are calls to attack America all over that we know that uh, hundreds and hundreds of people on the uh, terrorist watch list have gotten into this country because of this open border. Who in their right mind would have an open border like that? And then when you bring it up, oh, it's because we had to fix what the other guy did. What the other guy did was have a secure border. Trump had a secure border. Well, but there was no way for people to get it. That can be fixed once it's secure. I remember, remember him saying, a uh, great big door in that wall? which meant we follow the rules. We let people in as they need to be let in, right? It's not just wide open. But again, that's another symptom. They need voters. So where are they gonna get voters from? Because their policies have destroyed the economy, are destroying our ability to protect ourselves. We have no, uh, no respect from these enemy countries in the world. We have uh, fuel prices out of control, all because of their policies. So what do we have to do? Who's, who, who, who wants that? Nobody. So we have to bring in people that we're going to say, hey, we know they're going to reliably vote for us because we're going to give them stuff. Uh, and then they'll be loyal to us and we'll be in power. We do what we want. All of this is symptomatic. It is all symptomatic of the rise of socialism and communism in the background. Now, I'm not, I'm not rattling, oh, my gosh, listen to this guy. He's a McCarthy. He's telling you. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying open your eyes. Look at the facts. Go read uh, the Communist Manifesto. Go learn what Marx and Engels had to say and how to control a population and change a population. Don't listen to me. Go do your own due diligence, right? The, the media is never going to do this. Let, let's find out if what's going on has anything to do with the, 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 the writings of the communists so, and their proposals, how to take over a society. They're never going to say that because they're being stupid because right now, they think this is great. It's, we're going we're gonna to throw out the power structure and make our own. It's going to be better. And they haven't learned history. And history says the first thing to go is going to be the press once they take over. Uh, and it's going to be their own press. And you're gone. Right? There will be no dissent whatsoever. They take away your firearms. In every single one of these countries, one of the first things these dictators do is take away your personal firearms so that you can't protect yourself. So you have to rely on them, and you can't fight back against them. Why do you think that would be? Why do you think every single one of these regimes would do that across time and history? Take away your personal weapons? Because that's a way to disarm people. People can't protect themselves, and therefore they're dependent. Right? Is that happening now? Are we having this fight still to this day? Every single day we're hearing about a different court case? where the Supreme Court has come in and said people have a right to carry weapons to protect themselves. And then you see all these little states picking at the edges, trying to change it, trying to change it. We, you know, not in our town, or we'll make a rule that says you, and then they have to go to court again for three more years to say, no, you can't do that. Free speech is attacked all the time. I saw, I saw a, one of those... Uh, reporters that go around and talk to people and ask them a question, right, and see what they have to say. And this was on a college campus. And they, they asked a couple of these uh, younger people in college, supposedly very intelligent, they're in college, they're in good colleges, uh, and they're getting an education, they're worldly, all these things you would think would happen in college. And they said, hey, listen, um, if you could change the Constitution, 
what would you change about that constitution? And the answers were ranged from, okay, it's an answer it's a, it would, to, to something you don't understand facts. I would really strengthen the part of the constitution that says separation of church and state. Well, separation of church and state is, is not in the constitution, but that's what these kids have been told, right? Um, another one said, I would change the, the, the concept of what hate speech is and bar hate speech, right? See, so the basics of what you're allowed to do, of your freedoms, are on the chopping block for people who don't understand. And it's not, they're not taught it. They're not taught the truth. They're taught the narrative. So we can go round and round and round with this, but this is something that I think we all need to see. I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, a conspiracy theorist and, and running crazy with this. I'm simply, my eyes are open. I see what's going on. I compare it to history. I look at other places and see what has happened in other places when these same kind of things uh, happened. And I say, where is that leading us to? So let's break it down to this. Are the policies of Joe Biden and our friends on the left, progressive liberal policies, are they leading us to more liberty and more freedom? Well, if that liberty and freedom means the ability to uh, terminate your pregnancy to kill the baby, then you might say, yeah, yeah. And that's the most important thing because that's what lots of people are voting on to make sure they can terminate that baby. Um, But other than that, is it enhancing your freedom of speech? Are their policies enhance your freedom of speech? Do they support you? No. Do they enhance your Second Amendment right to protect yourself, even though the courts have said you have a right to do that? That's why it's in the Constitution. No, they're not trying to enhance that. They're sort of trying to cut down on your speech. They're trying to cut down on that ability. How about search and seizure, the Fourth Amendment? All right. Uh, Fourth Amendment tells you uh, you have a right to be secure in your person, your belongings, your residence, all these things, unless a valid warrant is issued by the court to go and look at your stuff. Now, that's a protection that comes to us from the time when the king would just send his, uh, his soldiers to your house, knock down your door, and go in and get papers that could incriminate you about whatever. So our Constitution protects us from a runaway government, right? That You have to go through a process. Now, that's great, but is the process being violated? So we see these warrants that are being issued. Let's look at the FISA warrants during the fake, uh, fake news uh, Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, which we know is a complete and total hoax made up by government officials, supported by government officials, and, and followed up through the courts. So we had people go in and, f- and give false information to get a warrant so that they could spy on the Trump campaign and see what was going on. This is abhorrent, and this, this should bother everyone, especially our friends on the left who say they don't want big government in there and, and looking at you and doing this and that, unless, of course, they get the power and they can look at their opponents. Then they seem to be perfectly fine with it. So the question is, do you think your rights are enhanced by these policies? Your privacy is enhanced by these policies or not? Uh, let's look at law and order and safety. Based on these policies, are you safer under liberal left-wing policies or are you less safe? 
Well, I think the answer is pretty clear that you can't really walk the streets of uh, the major American cities right now uh, without being attacked, raped, robbed, murdered, beat up, uh, getting caught in the middle of a protest and getting beaten down, whatever. So the answer is clearly no, you're not safer, right? Crime is out of control. Uh, we have this whole thought that we have to coddle the criminal and be nice to the criminal because the system's not fair. And that's not true. Uh, do we need some reform? Sure. We do need, we need to relook at the justice system every couple of years to make sure that it serves its purpose, and that is to deter and to punish those who victimize other people. And if the punishments are too severe, then we can lessen the punishments. If they're not severe enough, we can make them more severe. Whatever it takes to protect the public is the idea. And we have to learn the lesson. Do criminals figure out, hey, uh, they're not going to arrest me. They're not going to prosecute me. I'm not really going to get in trouble for any of this. So you know what? I'm glad you're leaving me alone. I'm, I'm going to stop committing crime. Or do they learn that same lesson and go, you know what? There's nothing to stop me. We have an entire retail industry right now that is under siege because of organized shoplifting groups. Because the laws have been changing. If you steal less than $1,000 a day, we're not going to prosecute you. We're not even going to come out and take the report. So we have groups of people going in, stealing thousands and thousands of dollars worth of merchandise. The new thing that I saw in the news the other day is they're taking a car and crashing a car through the front door of a store of an establishment to bust it open. And then a bunch of people run in and steal all the stuff and they take off. Are you better off with that happening? Because you know what's happening? All these stores are going to close. Your only choice is going to be to shop online because stores, stores are not in business to give away their merchandise just because people want it and they can't afford some of those. You know, I would love a, a Cartier uh, beautiful diamond bracelet for my wife. I'd love to get I can't afford it. So I don't go in there, smash in the glass and take one because it ain't right. They sell things that I can't have. No, it's ridiculous. I can save up and go buy one. So all of these things that we're seeing... All of these trends in our society are leading us in one direction, and it's not a good direction. That's the bottom line. So whether it's, uh, you know, the rise of the communists in the background or the socialists or whatever it is, our society is not on a freedom trajectory. We are on an oppression trajectory. Why is gas $3, $3.50 a gallon when we have more gasoline and oil, uh, fossil fuels, than any place else on the planet? Well, because they've shut that down. They don't want you to do that. Now we're dependent on the Middle East. Iran is making billions of dollars. Iran should be shut down. It is a terrorist nation causing trouble around the world. But instead, we coddle them. We talk to them. We make friends with them. We send them money. Why are we doing that? Does that make any sense to you whatsoever? It makes no sense to me. And that brings us to, I guess, the, the final conversation about this. We have an election coming up, an election coming up in a very short period of time. And we have going to have to decide as a people, where are we going to go here? What's going to happen with our nation? Do we move towards a more safe, secure, properly function, justice-based, rule of law, constitutional uh, protections for everyone, not just for the elites, in a place where everyone has opportunity 
to grow and be better if they choose to take that opportunity? Or are we going to continue to vote for a repressive state that slowly and surely chips away at all of your rights, putting you more and more under control of the government and what the bureaucrats and the elite think you should do and how you should live? Did you ever think they would have rules and laws on your toilets and the kind of toilet you can have in your house or the kind of shower head or the light bulbs you can use? How about your stoves and your refrigerators and your heating systems? Did you ever think you would see a day that the government would be able to come in and tell you what kind of things you can have in your home down to the light bulb? And if you don't see that as another symptom and as a bellwether, such a simple little thing like the kind of light bulb you can have, if you don't see that as a bellwether pointing to the future, then you're missing out. And that's all I'm saying. Not a conspiracy theory. I'm looking at facts. I'm looking at things before my eyes. I'm comparing it to history. And I'm trying to see where we're going as a nation. What does freedom and liberty for all look like next year, five years from now, ten years from now? The trajectory should be towards freedom, justice, and liberty. Now, I have grandchildren and children who are going to live in that world. And that's why I want the best for them. But we all have to ask these questions. We all have to decide what's right and who is going to help us get there. Who is going to represent us in the next election that's going to help us get to a place where we can live together, safety, security, and prosperity for those who are willing to work? That is where we need to be, my friends. So in this, this time of thankfulness. I'm thankful that you're listening, and I'm thankful that you're thinking, and I'm hopeful we're all going to go out and do the right thing at the next election and vote for freedom, liberty, and the American way. Remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. We'll see you down the road.